Welcome to State of Emergency, a podcast that is about drinking from the fire hose that is Florida politics. I'm Peter Schorsch, publisher of FloridaPolitics.com, here with my co-host, Jared Moskowitz, former director of Florida's Emergency Management Division, right? Jared, how are you today, buddy? I'm good. I'm good, Peter. How are you doing? Have you caused any controversies in the last 24 hours that I need to know about? Um, you kind of set me up last week. We launched a podcast, and suddenly you're on the front page of the Miami Herald, and you're the top story in Politico. Yeah, you know, uh, Jim DeFeedy told me I was causing more of a ruckus outside of the process than in the process, which, of course, made me feel like the time I spent there uh, wasn't as effective. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, some of the times, right, You these things happen, uh, the things that you did while you were in these positions, uh, some of that stuff comes out. So, yeah, that was uh, that was exciting for her. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about that later in the show. I'm sure some people want to hear about that. Well, and it's we will talk about it, but that's part of the reason why um, we've decided to do this podcast uh, is so that you could offer insights. And I think I imagine the insights about Rebecca Jones, the the data something or other, right? Every time I heard she, she has more titles uh, than anybody else I know. Um, she's probably one of the more least interesting stories of your time there. And so hopefully we'll hear more about it. Um, I just wanted to start off today thanking everybody for the um, li listenership and the, the really good feedback that we got. Yes, we had some technical issues. We heard about that from all of you, but more importantly, uh, we got really good feedback from a lot of different segments of the state. Jared being a, a star, people wanted to hear what he had to say. Um, and so we appreciate that. Um, yeah, I come here, Peter, to talk because apparently people want to hear what I have to say here in my house. My wife does not want to hear anything I have to say. So this is my this is my outlet. Well, you know, my not my running joke because it's not funny, but like the thing that frustrates me all the time is that Michelle doesn't find me funny at all. Like, I know that I'm a funny person. So and that's not true, Peter. So that's not true. <laughs> so he here's what I've recognized. Here's what I've recognized. My wife doesn't want to give me any compliments. So it's not, <laughs> it's not that she doesn't find me funny. She doesn't want to admit anything to me that might be positive. Right. I, I asked Michelle, every, like, not, I, I gave up at this point. I'm like, hey, did you, um, I just wrote this great think piece about the Santas and 2024 and blah. She's like, yeah, no. And I'm like, did you read Sunburn? And she's like, no, but I clicked on the ads. And so that's what our marriage has come to is she doesn't even, I'm like, you don't even read me anymore. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a little frustrating. Um, we're going to talk about a lot happened again in Florida politics. It's supposed to be the slow time of the two year cycle, but that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, we are going to talk about the big news with Val Demings formally announcing that she'll challenge Marco Rubio. We will talk more about uh, Jared and the saga of Rebecca Jones, possible congressional candidate. Who knows what she's doing? Um, our guest this week, uh, I almost wish we had taped the first five minutes when she was offline. Um, she's one of our favorite people, Senate Democrat leader Lauren Book. Uh, we'll talk to her about her caucus's outlook in 2022. And then of course, we'll close our show with our Ask Me Anything feature where I get to ask Jared something, Jared gets to ask me something. 
Um, but let's start with the controversy that's taken place over the last 24 hours. Um, I'm going to ask this tough question this way. Is Ron DeSantis' administration homophobic, Jared? Uh, we're referring to there was a controversy in Jacksonville about whether or not they could sew the rainbow colors illuminated from a bridge there, but there was also some vetoes of key um, appropriations into Central Florida that would have benefited the LGBT community. And then, as everybody knows, Governor did sign the controversial ban on transgender athletes and girls sports on the first day of Pride. So there's getting to be a little bit of momentum to those who say that he is got a homophobic streak running through his administration. What do you say about that, Jared? So, I mean, Peter, here's what I would say. I mean, obviously, I spent a significant amount of time with the governor uh, and the first lady. Uh, I went with them uh, to Pulse, uh, which we were the first uh, administration to go. The Rick Scott administration did not go. Uh, and I would tell you in spending time uh, with them uh, that that's not the two people uh, that I have uh, I've come to know. I don't, I don't see that. I don't hear it. Uh, and so uh, I don't think... Uh, the actions that are coming out of the administration fit uh, the, fit the governor. I will tell you a, a story, and there was a lot written about it uh, at the time, and there was a lot of dialogue. And so you might remember uh, the first year in the administration, the uh, pulse, uh, the recognition, the proclamation for pulse. I think it was the the third year uh, anniversary of pulse, and. The, they basically took the previous proclamation from the last year of the Rick Scott administration uh, and deleted a line uh, out of that proclamation, uh, recognizing that the majority of the people in Pulse uh, were part of the LGBTQ community. And I will tell you, uh, without revealing inside information, the governor was mad when that happened. He did not know that that happened. He did not approve that which is why it immediately got rectified as soon as that was pointed out. Why do I bring that story up? Here's what I learned about being inside government for two and a half years. Not everything that happens is intentional. Government's not that organized. In fact, there are so many people with authority and moving pieces that a lot of time these things happen without the governor's direct knowledge or approval. So listen, I think what is going on with the lighting uh, with DOT is ridiculous, okay? Um, the idea that we can't light bridges to celebrate Pride Week. Let me be clear. So long as this doesn't hurt or inhibit people's ability to drive on the road, uh, it should be approved just like anything else. Um, you know, so, so I don't understand what the decision was. I don't think DOT is adequately explained why that decision was made, but I find it hard uh, that that decision was made out of the governor's office. I, I, I don't buy that. In fact, Taryn, the press secretary, came out and said that that was not done with their knowledge. And I will tell you that that fits with a, a lot of the things that, that you know, went on in the, in the two and a half years, agency heads and their deputies and the middle management below that make those decisions. I mean, DOT has what, 8,000, 9,000 employees, maybe more than that. So, you know, that being said, I understand the pattern uh, that, that you bring up, the, the, the stuff that was vetoed, you know, some of the other issues. And, and listen, that's unfortunate 
that some of these unforced errors uh, ha are, are happening and then people can kind of make uh, develop that pattern. Uh, but I don't uh, I don't believe uh, in my heart, based on the time I spent with the governor, the first lady, that they subscribe uh, to, to any of that. All right. But and I don't think so either. I think that it's it's almost too hard to be a modern and I'm going to open myself up to, well, what about this person? I think if you are a, uh, I don't know, if you are somebody that went to two elite Ivy League universities and then served in the military, I think that your world exposure is too great at that point. And if you are, as Casey did, served in journalism, I just, I, I don't know that you could even rise to the levels that they have and hold those kind of beliefs. Now, I know that doesn't mean that there aren't homophobic uh, successful people uh, or successful people who are homophobic, but I, I'm just, I give them the benefit of the doubt 1000% on this. But I will say this, are people doing things like, are they trying to anticipate something? Like did this DOT, you know, secretary or DOT staff person, did they do this to try and appease something that they thought was there? And that- guess, Yeah, Peter, remember most of the people that serve in state government are state employees, they've been there a long time, and they are as apolitical as you have ever met. When I came into the Division of Emergency Management, you know, of the 280 people that were there, me and Jared Rosenstein were the two most political people. After that, you know, politics just didn't really enter their brain. That's not how they make decisions, which is why I'm saying that a lot of these unforced errors, you know, that happen, you know, allow people to take their preconceived notion and apply it, especially when there's a number of them. Uh, but, you know, when that proclamation went out and it went out incorrectly, and I saw how upset the governor was, he corrected it, and then he went to Pulse to show people that's not who he was. You know, it's, it's these sort of things are unfortunate because they, they lead people to believe, no, 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 that, that's not, that is who he is. Uh, because look at all these examples that we have, uh, even though, like I said, uh, th those decisions are most likely not being made uh, with his approval or even uh, with his knowledge. Um, and then, you know, the governor can't come out and fix every single solitary thing that happens. Um, and so it just, it's, it just goes to show you why it is so important, obviously, uh, to have your finger on the pulse, because when agencies make decisions, even at the lower level, especially in the political times we live in now, uh, getting into election season, uh, you know, folks will take anything that happens and put your fingerprint on it. They'll say, you made that decision. You, you did it. And that's just not how the administration works. Uh, the governor allows agencies to function without that micromanagement, which is extremely important. I was not micromanaged as an agency head. But sometimes when that happens, that means that there are folks in those agencies that will make decisions that politically could cause you problems. All right, let's, uh, let's switch topics a little bit. Um, again, Lauren Book is going to be joining us in a few moments. Uh, we're going to talk to her about maybe this issue and some other ones. Uh, Val Demings versus uh, Marco Rubio. Uh, Val announced this week that uh, she was, you know, going, there was no real suspense there. She had kind of telegraphed her move about a month ago. Um, I guess if there was any 
if there was any drama, it was that she, uh, the GOP response to her was pretty strong. Rubio uh, hit with a uh, response video within an hour. Uh, they started la labeling her the Pelosi puppet. His response video was filmed in, wh wh where was he, on his patio? <laughs> I mean, that really wasn't he, a response video. He films these hostage videos, and I don't know, I don't know who's telling him that they're helping him. It's kind of like the Bible quotes that he tweets. I don't, I don't know that they're helping him uh, one way or the other. I guess that that's his way of getting things out, but those, that dark lit room, and he usually... Uh, he hasn't shaved and he just kind of goes on. It's a hostage video. They just, they, they don't look good. I loved, uh, Val's video. I don't know if you caught it or not, but, um, she clipped in a part where Chris Christie attacks Rubio, but then she shot just about a half a second of a shot of a boot, uh, which was a throwback. Some people say to when Rubio was accused of wearing lifts during the presidential primary. Um, and well, well, hold on a second. Let's not attack people for wearing lifts. Okay. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna admit or deny Everybody whether I ask not. you anything. Have you ever worn lift? Darn it. Um, I, I have not, but I don't want to rule it out in my future, Peter. Right. You, <laughs> you may need, I, I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess so. You know, uh, there is something nice when you've got that extra inch, you know, that extra inch or two, you know, a good pair of shoes. I just tried on, um, I got a new pair of Nikes and I'm so happy for them because Nike has basically realized that there are so many um, large people like myself who hate putting on shoes um, and we struggle with it so that we don't even put on the shoes to go do the walking that would make it easier to put on better shoes. So they created this, um, this technology FlyEase, which basically allows, you can just step into your sneaker and then it pops back on in the back. So um, I'm gonna be doing hopefully that's been the big obstacle. And so now- All right, this podcast brought to you by Flyees by Nike. Thank you, you for making those shoes, Flyees by Nike. Jared, as we go forward, you're gonna notice that there's a lot of subtle and not so subtle uh, strategic advertisement and product placement, especially as Disney cruises go back online in the next month or so, uh, you're gonna hear more and more uh, about Disney cruises, about the Ritz-Carlton Orlando, about some of my favorite restaurants. I mean, you'll, you know, there'll be a lot of shout outs to uh, Capital City Consulting and other <laughs> groups. <laughs> all right, all right. There there you go. There he well, goes what again. What do you think about that, by the way? Not, not, I will jump on Val, but what do you think about the cruises? That's such a topic. That's a hot topic right now. What do you, um, should, should we, oh, you know, should we have vaccine passports? What do you think about uh, that industry coming back online. So it, it, that's a so that's a difficult answer because I'll tell you this: I think vaccine passports uh, would dramatically hurt the minority community. Okay. I do believe I do believe that. I do believe if we allowed businesses to ask if you had a vaccine, we would see multiple instances of low income and minorities being turned away from a technology standpoint and from a vaccine standpoint. However, I do believe that there are certain instances where it is needed. Cruises, concerts, things of that nature. So I do think there are some limited applications uh, of where it should be allowed. That's my personal, personal opinion. But I do understand why creating two classes of citizens, especially in an instance where it could absolutely indirectly 
not intentionally so, but indirectly hurt minorities and low income. I understand why uh, why even the Biden administration has not pushed vax passes. It's for that reason that I bring it up. But on cruises, Peter, here's what I can say. I'm not getting on a cruise myself uh, unless I know people are vaccinated, not because of the potential uh, the potential of getting covid. But you know what happens when people get COVID on a cruise ship? It gets marooned out to sea for several weeks. Uh, and that's just not something right. I, I, I want to potentially subject myself to. You know, when you go on a cruise, whenever you do go on that next cruise, um, I will find out about it and I will accidentally run into you there like our last vacation. Yeah, this time, be, this time you'll probably just be in my cabin. That's going to be a, re- a recurring theme. It's like, oh, can't. Lee and I are looking forward to seven days. We're going to St. Thomas, BBI, really have, oh shit, they're short. God dang it. What is he doing on this cruise? Um, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know. We don't talk about yet what you read, but I like the reporter Ed Young from The Atlantic, who has had some incredible reporting on the pandemic. And he had a, a, a think piece this week. The fundamental question of the pandemic is shifting um, and it talks about how it, it basically talks about how uh, America is, you know, defined by its individualism, and a response to the pandemic has to be a collective decision. And one of the it's me first versus we first kind of argument. One of his number one criticisms is, you know, it's kind of perverse now that we have said, okay, uh, get vaccinated so you can go back out and party. Um, and in doing so, we have really left behind, I think some of the people that you're talking about, um, people in disadvantaged communities that don't have access to healthcare and people, you know, they think that, oh, you know, it's, it's got, it's so easy to just go down to Walgreens. One in three Hispanic Americans say that they're, um, that they would get the back. This is unvaccinated Hispanic Americans say that they would get the vaccine if they had better access to it. So that's a huge swath of people who can't just go two minutes down to the Walgreens. I mean- Yeah, and access, is- Peter, you know, I learned a lot, obviously, about the healthcare system, but it's not just about the system itself, it's about the people. So when we say access, it doesn't mean that there's a store uh, in their neighborhood that they can go to. That's, that's what people think about. It isn't just that. Access really is more defined as transportation education, trust. Uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole nexus to what we mean by access. I can tell you that trust is a huge issue. Trusting of the government, trusting of, of medicine, trusting of doctors. Um, that's a huge issue. Transportation is another huge issue. Sometimes there's only one car in a family or there is no car at all. And public transportation uh, doesn't take you to the direct location. And so there are a myriad of issues in the low income minority neighborhoods. Uh, that you have that, to be able to, if you know, if you get that second booster shot, that you have a job that you can take two or three days off from. Like, that's a huge issue. Like, if you are working at in a, you know, if you're an Amazon delivery person, if you're in the service community, you know, the idea that, all right, I'm going to go get my booster shot on Tuesday, because that's the only time I can get there. Well, now you got to be able, be able to be off Tuesday for that shot and Wednesday, Thursday, because you're probably going to be recovering from that shot. You know, a lot of people don't have that luxury as well. Um, yeah, Peter, before 
before I know we bring on uh, Senator Book, I want to double back on to the Rubio yes. uh, Val, Val yes. Demings race before we started talking about your shoe fetish. Uh, so, I mean, here's what I would tell you. To, to see the uh, GOP and Marco Rubio react so quickly and sternly with all sorts of loaded words uh, that they've poll tested trying to label Val Demings uh, on things that she clearly is not. Uh, it goes to show me that they're actually scared. Okay. Uh, immediately going after Val Demings, who was an African-American police chief uh, on defunding the police, which is a poll tested word that Frank Luntz probably gave them uh, to use against her. Uh, I, I can tell you that ain't going to, that ain't going to fit this race. They're not going to be able to, to say Val Demings, who was a police chief and Marco Rubio, who clearly was not that she wants to defund the police. No. Uh, they're not they're, they're, they're not going to be able to pigeonhole her, but immediately trying to tie her to Pelosi and to AOC and that crew tells me that they are very worried about Val Demings. I will. I've, I said on Twitter, uh, Val Demings is starting off as probably a seven to eight point underdog. Charlie or Nikki is, are definitely eight to ten point underdogs. I think the only way that you win those seats for Democrats, and again, I would probably put that in Right now, probably, a, I think it's accurate. I think the predicted futures market has um, DeSantis at about an 80 cent on a dollar chance of winning. Um, I think that you have to do it. You have to Georgia it all up and you have to run them as like they did Osop and Warnock, that it's some sort of ticket, that it's Demings and Chris, Chris and Demings, Freed and Demings, et cetera. Um, and that it is a, a vote for some sort of titanic change that break the Senate or break the GOP's uh, dominance of Florida politics. I don't even know that that works, but I think that that's the only way that it would work. Let's talk now to someone who's got a, um, a tall order as well in front of her for 2022. Uh, State Senator Lauren Book chosen last uh, month by her colleagues to take over the Democratic caucus in the Senate. So she is now leader of the Democrats. Uh, going into the 2022 session, uh, but she's also in charge of the campaign arm of the, the Senate Democrats. So good morning, Senator. How are you? Good morning. I have to tell you, I love listening to you guys. This has been the highlight of my week, which says a lot about my week. There's only one in our life that says that. So well, it's only, I, it's, only, terrible. it's only okay. Thursday, though. So hopefully well. tomorrow will be better for you. <laughs> I got, I got to say, you know, I know both Michelle and Leah very well. I know they both love you very, very much, but I can also understand their position. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, you're so fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's all we need from you today. We'll just, we'll just pop right out. It's <laughs> not, we're going to stand for this moment and just go out on top uh, right now. I, I kind of want to be included in the ask anything, but I don't want you to ask me anything. I just want to ask you. Oh, guys. that's dangerous. Oh, that's I dangerous. Know. You got to be careful there. <laughs> you know what? If you think about, it, we could end it with her doing it this week, right? That would be kind of cool. Maybe that's I'm how good. we. I'm good with that. I, in fact, yeah. I trust her more than I trust you, Peter. All right. So, Senator, save your ask me anything at the end, and we'll close down with you asking us uh, and ask me anything. So, okay, uh, deal. But first, we get to ask you a couple questions. Um, how the heck are you going? win a couple of state Senate seats back and get bring some balance back to the Florida Senate? Well, that's a really good question. You know, I think that we are, um, 
we have to work really hard. We have to um, really get our hands dirty and and do some of the work I think that's been neglected for quite some time. You know, everyone we talk about fundraising, we talk about um, you know engaging with with folks, but I think that we've really got to get people registered to vote. We got to get and have a more clear, united message um, to make sure that people understand what's going on. Um, and I'm really excited about one thing that's you know breaking news here on the podcast. Oh wow! Um, I know, I know. Um, one of the things that that we're working on, and look, I'm a different leader um, than we've had in the um, recent past. And so one of the things that's really important to me is that we elevate the voices in our caucus, thereby um, elevating voices around our state. And one of the things I'm very excited about is a listening tour that we're planning, a statewide listening tour in October. We're going to visit every single caucus member's districts um, and elevate issues that are important to them, talk about constituencies, register people to vote, um, and bring some stuff back to Tallahassee um, that we've Come, come along with that we've heard, that we've listened to, that we've talked to people and, and bring about some policy. And I think that when you, um, I think that one of the criticisms, right, is that we have neglected, um, we have kind of neglected people, right? A little bit like we go, we, we do door to doors when it's election time. We, we you know, do the, the church visits or this when it's election time. We've got to engage with our communities all the time. They are the people that we are here to represent. And so I'm excited about this. Um, about this. I'm excited about looking at um, some really interesting things across our state. And um, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to bring back some of that unity. We're going to, again, register those people to vote. Um, and I think when you have a clear message, I think when you are engaged and you have people that are bought in, um, this speaks to elections and the caucus, quite frankly, um, you will be more successful. Um, and so we have to fight hard and it's going to be called the Fighting for Florida Listening Tour and it's uh, coming through the state in October. So we're excited about it. But I think that's a one way. I think that's one way. That's interesting. Thank you for, uh, we haven't had breaking news on this. We've only had, uh, you know. Uh, Jared, Jared causing trouble. Well, no, or Jared. <laughs> just kidding. Jared, Jared doesn't tell me that he's doing that he's done 10 hours of interviews like that like last week I'm like hey buddy could you give me a, a heads up the next time like the bombshells are gonna drop like 20 minutes after we're yeah. I'm like hey we're starting a podcast with Jared Moskowitz and then it's Jared Moskowitz uh Palooza the next day yeah the you point, know, of, the point of running a clandestine operation Peter is to be clandestine <laughs> My favorite thing ever in life was when Jared was the director and anytime something disastrous would occur, um, you know, whether it was something in my own little world here at home or, you know, politically, I would call the the director of emergency management and declare a state of disaster and ask for his help. So, you know, clearly you needed to call the director. Let me ask you guys both something that's kind of, I mean, we'll get back to 2022 in a second, but I thought it was very noteworthy. Um, President Biden speaking by video to the graduation of the Parkland seniors. Um, I think that, I think that happened on Tuesday, if I was correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I, I, you know, it, I, I, I have, I'm nowhere near as close to it, but it is heartbreaking to me every time I see on Twitter. I think Andrew um, uh, had Andrew Pollack had a tweet this week uh, that just it just breaks my heart every time I read his uh, Ryan Petty's. 
what is the what's the emotion down there now? Like, I mean, we're 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 a few years removed, but I can't even imagine what it would be like. I don't want to imagine what it would be like. But what is the communal feel now? It's, it's well, I'll like let you go first, Jared. Yeah, Peter. I mean, listen. Uh, I mean, Fred Guttenberg attended what would have been his daughter's graduation, and instead of watching his daughter graduate, he got a shadow box, and he went to visit her at the cemetery the day of her graduation. And so, this still is raw. It still is a wound that has not healed. Uh, a scab forms over it, but then it gets scratched off all the time. I mean, there are still empty rooms in people's houses, still empty chairs at people's tables. Uh, and the community still feels that. Those kids that were graduating were the freshman class when the shooting happened. Um, and so, you know, listen, you know, with me and Senator Book, her and the Senate being in the House, she was tremendous. It, you know, the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Safety Act passed by one vote uh, in the Senate. Um, and, and it came to the House and it passed by, you know, six or seven votes uh, in the House. And so, you know, what those kids, what those parents did, and, and it's unique, in my opinion, a Republican House, a Republican Senate with a Republican governor running for Republican office rolled the NRA and passed gun safety, mental health, and school security in a, in a sweeping package, the largest we've seen in two decades. Um, and that goes to show, that showed me then, and it shows me now, the power of what happened in, at Douglas. Because if it can happen in Parkland, which is the safest city, was the safest city in Florida, at my high school where I graduated, um, I think that showed everybody that this can happen anywhere. Fred tells me all the time, you know, you know all, all I did was send my, my daughter to school. That's all I did. Um, and so this is, this is not going to go away. This is going to be with not just my community, quite frankly. This is going to be with the state of Florida for a long time. Uh, and those kids and those parents, regardless of whatever political aisle they're on, the Fred Guttenbergs versus the Andy Pollocks, they both the same way go to see their kids at a cemetery. Lauren, what is it like for you as the uh, as the senator representing so many of these folks? Um, is it an everyday? Is it? Does it, it? It seems it's, like it's ever present. You know, I think it's a, it's still and always will be a cloud um, of around our community. I think it's something that you never ever forget, um, and something that is a, a piece, a part, and a fabric um, of 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 what what we are responsible to do. Um, I think that our community, particularly the folks who were in and around when these things happened, as Jared said, you know, as the director said, we have a responsibility to, um, to make it different. And I think, you know, we're, yesterday when we, want, we wanted to try to get together to do the podcast, I was sitting at a funeral of, um, you know, former Senator Daphne Campbell's son. Gun violence in our state, and um, particularly in Miami and some of the urban areas, um, gun violence is an issue, again, as we've just said, it's here. Um, and I think that we need to not look away. I think we need to lean into the discomfort 
all across the board and tackle this, tackle the issue. And um, we've got some people in our community who um, who have continued to work in the space, and we've got to continue to elevate those voices and make sure that 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 we're creating policy um, that keeps students safe and people safe in the state. Yeah, it's an epidemic, Peter. Uh, you know, this is this is something that um, is not getting better. It's not even staying the same. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I made this comment on the last show, um, and I wasn't trying to equate gun violence with the pandemic. But what I am equating is that I feel like where we are with the pandemic, even though people are still dying, the public has become desensitized to the numbers. And I feel like the same thing is happening with gun violence. We are being desensitized. And without this mass event like a Parkland or a Pulse, two people here, five people there, a bullet whizzes through the drywall of a home, kills an innocent child, another child is playing outside and there's there's gang-related activity, they get caught in the crosshairs in Dade County. This sort of stuff is happening so frequently that we're desensitized to it and we don't see the same outrage, the media attention, uh, that that we should be seeing on a global scale. It seems that it's very in the community that it happens and three days later, it's forgotten about. And that's just because the media cycle's changing so much and we've just been being desensitized to it. I mean, I, Peter, I'll tell you, I, I was there in the hotel the day the, the shooting happened with the parents who were waiting there for six hours as the FBI and DSO would pull them out one by one into a separate area separated by a partition um and they would tell their kid they would tell the family you know their their kid was dead on the second floor or the third floor um i didn't hear crying i heard screaming it haunts me to this day uh jen guttenberg uh still does writing classes she was with my son that day she still comes to the house uh when she's in town and still does writing classes with my kid. I mean, she put my kid in a closet while her daughter was killed. I mean, this stuff is real and it's happening to families every single day in Dade County and in other places around the state and in other places around the country. And while the second amendment is real and we're not looking to infringe upon the second amendment the idea that we have lost common sense as a society and we're letting kids, kids get mm. gunned down every single day and we're not seeing that political outrage, it has to infuriate these families to a degree that I, quite frankly, wouldn't understand. And I got to tell you, just, I mean, to that point, I mean, there are things that we can do that aren't over the top controversial um, that would have prevented perhaps some of the things that happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and certainly would have prevented some of the gun violence that we've seen in Miami-Dade County to Jared's point over the last few weeks. Certainly the shooting where 20 people were killed in front of a concert, um, you know, there was a Senate bill uh, that Senator Pizzo brought forward um, several sessions ago. I think it was, you know, I wanna say, I'm going to look up the number, Senate Bill 656, that would allow minor children, so we're talking about kids under the age, um, from posting, well, 
from posting pictures and videos of themselves on social media platforms, threatening um, to utilize them. Those kids shouldn't have access to those guns. Law enforcement now can't do anything about it. Um, that bill would have allowed law enforcement to have access to search and find those weapons before these type of things happen. We know the shooter at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas posted several videos and photos of himself with his weaponry. Um, and we see this time again in some of the urban gun violence that we're seeing. Um, and so these are things that are out there. They have been around, but it's really time that we um, we really address it. Not, not for this community or that community or because of this tragedy or that tragedy, because it's the right thing to keep children, to keep families, to keep human beings safe. Um, when you are afraid to um, to send your kids to school, when you're afraid to go to a concert, what I mean, aside from the public safety aspect of it, what does that do to our economy? What does that do to our mental health? We need to do more and we need to do the things that are a little bit different, difficult. And I think it's time that we we um, we use a united front and have some of those hard conversations. I think. Um... I think, for, and I've said this before, uh, and this sounds like the guy from West Wing, uh, Roland, when he uh, says uh, crime, uh, that's a shame. Uh, it's so obvious. I just, I do feel crime is going to be the sleeper issue of 2022, um, which probably doesn't bode well for the, you know, the Democratic side of the aisle, because somehow it will be uh, Democrats' fault for, um, you know, the, the spike in crime when it, it, it's not that case. But you just, I think people, you know, you look at what's happening in South Florida, et cetera. I think people are increasingly scared of what's going, of of the randomness of what's going on. Yeah, I was in, uh, you know, listen, I was in uh, the George Washington University as a college student when the D.C. sniper thing was going on. They closed school for a week. You know, that's where the guy was just picking people off in a Home Depot parking lot or a gas station. Uh, and when that happened then, it was national news. There was a national manhunt on for this for this guy uh, because it just didn't happen. And now uh, it's it's everyday news uh, where the randomness is happening. Look, the Republicans used crime in uh, in the 2020 election for the president. OK, uh, even though Biden won. Remember, Democrats lost a lot of races down ballot. We did extremely well in Georgia in special elections, but we lost a lot of congressional seats. Uh, and they showed a lot of scary imagery of Black Lives Matter members, uh, you know, and, and try to try to gin up that that crime issue. They'll do it again. Uh, and so I don't I don't know that I agree with you that it's going to happen. I don't know that it's a sleeper issue because I think it's going to be out. It's going to be open and they're going to use language to scare people. We, we have now seen over the last several elections, um, the scare tactics force people to the ballots and it works. And so long as you can scare people and you can get people to the ballot by using negativity and division and pollsters see that that is working. Uh, that will be the tactic. Lauren, on that note, um, yeah. I mean, I know what you're staring up at, yeah. and nobody expects you to um, win back uh, seven, I think, or six Senate seats in one fell swoop, um, especially with the structural issues that are just present in some of the districts. So, 
what is the best case scenario for you and the caucus in 2022? Like if you woke up day after election and X or Y happened, um, what what what's your best case scenario? You know, I, I think I want to, I, I don't think, I, I want to hold what we have. Um, I'd like to come back um, with one or two that we've lost. Um, I'm not sure that that's completely realistic, but I, I mean, in a perfect blue sky world, as we like to say, um, you know, keeping what we have, um, winning back one or two, I think would be, um, you know, something that I would, I, that we're striving for and working hard to do. Um, you know, this is going to take time. We're going to we're going to have to roll up our sleeves. This is going to take discipline. Um, this is not going to be easy. And um, I think to to both of your points, I mean, you're right. They they control the narrative. Um, it's our responsibility to um, have some of that clear messaging that we're talking about. To um, to kind of also look at ourselves and some of the 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 the. The purity tests that go on um, in our party is a little bit um, is 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 hurting us uh, because we're all Democrats, and I think that we um, all come from different um, you know different different parts of the spectrum, if you will. Um, but but we really need to embrace all of who and what we are um, to combat um, what what <laughs> to to be successful and to to bring back more of those numbers. And I think that that is. Um, there are a lot of issues. There is a lot of, um, you know, structural things that we're going to have to work through. But I, I think that it's doable if we're disciplined, if we do the work, if we fundraise, if we, um, you know, put up a really strong ground game. Um, and those are the things that we're working for. I mean, we've got some our some of our incumbents are just so strong and so wonderful um, that that I've just come to love and respect so much. And, and I know that their, um, their constituency loves them too. We're just going to have to work really hard to make sure that we bring them back. Yeah, the Senator brings up a great point and we're seeing it kind of on a national level. And, and I know, uh, you know, Senator Book is uniquely positioned. Um, you know, she said earlier that she's slightly different than some of the previous leaders. And the truth of the matter is, you know, Lauren understands that you got to be able to recruit good candidates. And you got to be able to recruit candidates that may not pass the 100% purity test, but that can win the district. Because in order to get to the majority, you have to have a big tent. You have to have a larger tent. Now, I know some people will say, oh, well, you know, you know, look what's going on in Washington, D.C. We have, you know, Joe Manchin in our big tent, you know, and, and we can't get our agenda across. Yes, but if you didn't have Joe Manchin, Mitch McConnell would be the majority leader because West Virginia would certainly replace him with a Republican. Are you guys the Joe Manchins of Florida politics, the two of you? I mean, no, no, no. I mean, I'm going to speak for Lauren, but no, I, I, I am not anywhere near where Joe Manchin is, but I also don't live in West Virginia. I mean, we got to be honest, right? I mean, if Joe, Joe well, I, while I want to see gun control get passed, I want to see it. For me, it's a number one issue, gun safety, some smart things. If Joe Manchin votes for that, he's done, which means Mitch McConnell is the majority leader. So these are really hard things to balance. Now, look, I'm somebody who believes you take the hard stand, you take the hard vote, you deal with the political consequences. Lord knows when Lauren and I were both both voted for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Safety Act, we were only uh, uh, in the Senate. I think Lauren was one of two uh, Democrats mm -hmm. that voted for that, and I was one of a handful. 
So we've taken those tough positions and we have fought through the politics of that. Um, but no, I'm, I'm way to the left uh, of a Senator Joe Manchin. You know, I, I, I would agree with Jared. I, I think that um, I, I'm, I, I think that when I came to the Senate and, um, you know, being around the process my entire life, I've had a, a reverence for it and a deep, deep level of just awe of the institution. Um, you know, I think that you, you've got to be guided by your true north, no matter how hard that is. And sometimes you've got to just do, um, do what's right, even if it goes against some of the things that other people who are like-minded or similar party to agree, agree on. Um, and so, I, you know, that's just how I've, I've kind of navigated the process. And um, I've, it, it's tough, it's not always easy, but I think when you are able to be guided by what is right and true and just and represents your, the people that sent you there to do the work, you come out okay. All right, let's, uh... Let's mix it up just a little bit. Um, Lauren, a couple of questions. How's your dad doing? Um, he's such a big figure in Florida politics. Had a little bit of a health scare a couple of years back. I always uh, want to make sure he's doing okay. Can you tell the audience how, how he's feeling? Not that anybody would notice it. I mean, I don't think he's ever slowed down, but how's he feeling? How's everything going with him? He's good. He's still as cranky as always. He comes over. We live a block basically from each other. Comes over every day. Um, you know, right at bedtime, usually he's uh, screaming with Jared on the phone or somebody else and riles the children up right at like 745 when they're getting ready to go to bed. Um, you know, he's doing nice. great. <laughs> he's busy. He's he's running around like crazy. And, um, you know, I I feel really lucky that that I have the opportunity to um, spend as much time with him because I do think that he's um, just he's he's really smart. He really understands the process. And, you know, I've just learned a lot from him. I, I joke around about how if I realized when I was much younger that I wouldn't be allowed to talk to him about so many topics um, or that I would have to, you know, shut him down so much, I would have run for office when I was 10 years old. Um, but, but really and truly it has allowed us to get to, to spend and do um, more time on, on the things that really matter outside of that process and our family. And so I, he's doing great. We're having a lot of fun. Um, you know, he's got an, an, not breaking news. Cause I guess it was on Facebook. So it's Facebook official. Um, another grandbaby, not mine. My brother's having a new baby. So, um, it's very exciting. It's wonderful. And, and he's doing great. And how are your twins doing? They are hysterical and funny. And I was, you know, hopefully one day we'll get to do a off the air, on the air fun thing when we were talking about Batman. Um, you know, we're into the superheroes now. Both of them, Kennedy wants to be Catwoman, who's a villain, but that's okay, she says. And, you know, Hudson is fighting crime with Batman. And, you know, I just, I'm glad that I get to, to be in and around a process where my kids get to hang out with Jared's kids. Um, while he's, his kids are Star Wars kids. Now my kids are Batman kids. And I, you know, we, we just have a lot of fun and that's, that's really what, what I think is most important that, that, that we get to grow and develop and, and our families grow and develop together. And I think that's really special. Yeah. That's why, that's why I came home. No doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, I assume, By the way, uh, who's ever smoke detector needs a new battery. I am mine. more than I am more it than happy mine. to come over and help change. Now, that is, I'm having a disaster. Uh, 
I'm and having a disaster right now. And my, it's, you know, the dogs and I'm like, where's Michelle? <laughs> I mean, why can't she help me? All right, Peter, we're going to let, we're going to let Senator Book ask us anything. Any question she wants to ask me or ask you, what do you think? You have, you have to ask each of us one. So you can. Okay. You can okay. Ready? Whoever. I'm right, go ahead. going to ask you, Peter, yes. what is your favorite Dave Matthews song? An easy one for this uh, bartender uh, oh, okay. allegories about God and Dave's relationship with it. Um, it okay. you know, it's a haunting story. It's a, a magnus opus for the band. I tell everybody to listen to the April 7th, 2001 edition or 2002. Ooh. It's the Ooh. one time uh, Dave loses his voice. Um, uh, wailing out the outro to that. He enunciates the words more clearly in that version. It's the only time that, that he had to cancel the show because he lost his voice. And so Bartender to me uh, is the is my favorite. Uh, although, you know, that's like asking, you know, what's your favorite ice cream on the dance market? I was going to say, that's like asking which is my favorite twin and you can't really do that. Right. That's you have a favorite. You have a favorite. I know we're supposed to, what's your favorite one? I I have to say I have like I'm split like I like 41 as much as the next one uh, water into wine American baby intro like I, I I can't pick like I just I can't you and me oh god if I didn't say you and me that's my that was the song that Blair and I danced to at our wedding it's our favorite song loving wings you know all the songs all of them mine is grave digger which just seems pretty fitting that's very fitting for you wow, that's very fitting. Um, okay, oh, good. Okay. That's my question. So now I get to ask Jared a question. Um, when are you going to take me to Carbones because you owe me dinner? So Ooh. Peter gets a simple question of, hey, Peter, what kind of music do you listen to? And I get a, hey, you owe me dinner. So that question now has cost me money. Uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get it on your schedule, Senator. Yeah, uh-huh. If you yeah. don't recall, that was a very good bet that I took. It was. I lost. Uh -huh. um, on that note, uh, Senator Lauren Book, um, thank you for joining us, making this podcast. I mean, I think we've already like doubled and tripled how much better this one is over Vancouver from last week. Uh, thanks for breaking news. I hope when you do come back over or when you start your tour, I know you'll have to come see Janet Cruz, but you know we've got the battleground seat over here in Pinellas as well. So I hope we get to see you uh, over summer and fall. So. Um, you will definitely see us. Jared Moskowitz, any last words? No, uh, other than I'm so happy you didn't ask me more questions about Rebecca Jones and we forgot about her in this segment because I wish that's what the state of Florida would do in general. No, I don't. It's just like we promised that we were going to have this tight podcast. And I told you it's so hard to keep it to 30, especially when you've got great guests on and you and I and so much going on. Um, I'm telling you, we're going to have to. We're gonna to have to either do more pods or something like that. This is State of Emergency by Florida Politics. Uh, you can follow Jared on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. We appreciate it. And we'll be back next week with a, another edition of State of Emergency. <laughs>